Tell me turn around and I'm on it for the moment. But you know me, you know how I get when I'm lonely. I think about you in the moments, but everything you do is so open, so open. Foot on the gas, I'm just trying to pass all the red lights and the stop signs. I'm ready to go before I get to the baby. That's a problem. Cause I'm way too scared to call and you might give me a stay Welcome to the Eastern Shore. I'm Brock Winstead. This week on the show, I talked to a San Francisco artist, but don't worry, I have an excuse. I interviewed a guy named Dr. Popular. Well, okay, that's not the name on his birth certificate, but it is the name he puts on all the things he makes, which is a real grab bag. He's a tailor, a comic artist, a game designer, a musician, a photographer. He was, for a time, a professional yo-yoer. We talked about a project he worked on recently that launched in Oakland. It's called Trucker. We sat down at a co-working space in Soma, so hip, so full of background noises. And we talked about that project, which I'll let him describe. But we also got into the other things he makes and how he thinks reports of the death of the art scene in San Francisco may have been greatly exaggerated and how he pays the bills. So here is my interview with Dr. Popular about Trucker the Bay Area's tech economy, and how yo-yoing changed his life. So I'm here with Dr. Popular, musician, illustrator, game designer, tailor, multimedia man for our times. We're in a place called The Hatchery, which, given its name, has a striking lack of things hatching from eggs. At oh, least it's, it's incubating like crazy. You can't, you can't just smell the, the heaters. Is and that the, the smell? Yeah. It's the smell of incubation. Yeah. Okay. But of hatching, there is quite little that's visible. But you now, doctor, if I may call you doctor, doc. Okay, doctor, doc. Um, you do many, many, many different things, and I probably left out some descriptors in my little tiny introduction there. So, how do you describe yourself and what I, you do? I've been wrestling with that term. Uh, mixed media artist keeps coming up. But then there's that uh, that visual of like macaroni and glue on like coloring paper. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Like I just make a lot of things. I I, I play with the term maker or creator or whatever. Um, but no, I I just finally like finally 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 just embrace the term artist, uh, which I never like came near that word before. Like describing myself as an artist. How long did that take? Like to call myself an artist. I think it was like I comfortably. Kind of like last year, somewhere around the nine, I was like, you know what? I'm a fucking artist. Like, that's, that's, that's it. Like, I just need to stop being like... But so, how many... Like, you you have been a working artist for how many years before you finally got around to saying, oh, no, that's me. That's what I do. Well, I mean, by by that, you could you could go back to, like, I was uh, putting on shows in our small town in Lewisburg when I was 15. Uh, Lewisburg, so like, what? Lewisburg, Tennessee. Oh. 
So like, uh, so like it goes back, like, you know, I was making zines and stuff then, like there was never a time that I can remember that I wasn't doing some sort of productive thing. Um, the problem is that those productive things, uh, like, like making things or whatever have like just varied. Like I was, uh, making zines for a long time and comics for a long time. And I was a tailor for a long time. And like, there just never has been a thing that I could say, like I'm a X, uh, but there's always, so anyway, yeah. Artist just covers everything for me. You, you are also, you are a friend of the secret alley, uh, also home to BFF.FM. You have a space there where you ply your various trades at least some part of the week. Um, I think the first time I ever saw you there, you were wearing your homemade, or maybe I should say bespoke, um, hooded dress shirt. Yeah, I like that, that, that shirt. Yeah, do you still, you still wear that? Yeah, I wear that, it. That's part of the wardrobe? Yeah. I was, I was, a, I was a tailor for a little while for, for, um, for uh, Self Edge on Valencia. I was, I was a tailor for like three or four years for them. And uh, I, I really got into m- making things, like things that you could, uh, I, I could uh, be on a trip in New York and uh, somewhere at a restaurant or a cafe, I might actually see somebody pull out a wallet that I made or something. Like it, it's, that's actually happened and that's, that's not something that happens with other stuff and that's yeah. a pretty cool feeling. But at the same time, man, like all that work to make a shirt when I could spend that same amount of work to make a song and it's just like it's out like it's on the internet like I don't have to ship it I don't have to make another one that's the that's the struggle there yeah I mean you do a lot of stuff now that you you try to fund through Kickstarter and and, and through crowdfunding things like that Um, have you found that to be like a pretty I don't want to say easy but a pretty straightforward way to like fund the things you're trying to do that are not on their face commercial well, the, the um, I mean, a lot of things I am trying to do are, are kind of commercial, like making an album has that commercial aspect of like selling it or whatever. And other things I do are a little bit more experiential, like God Hates Dinosaurs. But the, the thing that I've really found in terms of Kickstarter and crowdfunding is the traditional model of being an artist has been uh, carve out a space for yourself and own that space. Like if there's not people who are uh, really into stencil art, when you start, by the time you're done, like 10 years later, you have like this whole group of people that like have this new thing that they like that they didn't know existed and you own it. Um, and I've just never really, like I tend to hop around a lot. So like crowdfunding makes it really easy for, for me now to say, this is the project I've had in mind for 10 years and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. And I don't have to have like spent 10 years building up like a career as a watercolor artist. Like I could, I could do all the things that I want to do. Um, and that's something that just did not exist before, before the, the, the entire model was to just be really good at one thing and own it. I mean, like, uh, Shepard Ferry just kept doing the same fucking face over and over again. And that's what he did. I mean, like, that's how he makes a career for himself. He just owns that. If he was Shepard Ferry, the guy who also makes music and I don't know, does something with games, like he wouldn't be anywhere where he is. Yeah. Um, well, I'm here in part because of one of the things you did recently, one of your new ventures that you launched in between all the other stuff you're doing called Trucker. Mm-hmm. Tell me, doctor, what's Trucker? So so Trucker is the rapid growth mobile incubator. Uh, it's, it's sort of uh, built around uh, a joke. I'm, I'm sure like um, you've gone out for drinks with friends and at some point, at some time, it like comes up all the time now, what's your idea for a terrible startup? And it's just like everyone just, oh, I've got one for you, right? And they just kind of go in with their spiel. In fact, I have some friends who uh, have so many of these ideas that they have invented a holding company. Yeah, and so, so 
for, for, for many years, mine was Toastio. Uh, Toastio is Spotify for bread. I mean, because let me ask you, Brock, what is the number one problem with bread? That it isn't yet toast. Exactly. This is what our research shows. You don't know what, what, what bread your friends are eating. That, that's exactly what, what we want to solve. Like, everyone wants to know what their friends are I eating. I see. It's a it, social issue. Yeah, it's a big thing, right? I mean, it's uh, 2015. I don't know if you even like bread. Mm. Right? This is a problem. I should know this. So, because so, I haven't shared that on... On Toastio. Uh, on Toastio. Yeah. Well, yeah. So Toastio is basically you uh, take your bread, however you like to prepare it, uh, pumpernickel. Rye. 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 You slice it. You butter it. Pan fry. Toast it. Frequently uh, pan, uh, like toast it in a, on a, on a uh, cast iron skillet. So, so when you're done, you just take your bread, swipe it across the screen, left, left to right. right. Okay. Left to right. Not right to left because that'll delete the cookies and those are delicious. Mm. Uh, so left to right. Uh, it's, so it's sort of like Tinder. It's sort of like Spotify for Tinder for bread. Uh, and so, yeah, that's what, that's, that's basically the sort of pitch that, yeah. that I would have for my friends, you know, and it goes on about like, you know, it's a, it's a, a you know, obviously it's a growth industry. It's on the rise. Mm. Uh, and everyone wants to make some dough. So <laughs> let's, let's get in on this together. Right. And, uh, joke about, you know, all sorts of different things. I, I've gotten pretty good at answering all the questions in terms of, you know, uh, what our, what our wearable strategy is, you know, obviously it's a hat, uh, that could hold your toast. Uh, you know, we, we have all, all sorts of questions that have just come up and, and, and I, as I, I assume you've got a pretty polished deck ready to go <laughs> for a killer deck. investor meetings. Yeah. yeah. So trucker was, uh, built around this concept of like, let's give some people a chance to pitch their terrible, um, ideas. Uh, and we'll, we'll treat people, uh, as if they're investors coming in. Um, so in order to kind of describe the trucker experience, I think we should go back a step and, and talk about the lost rise in night market. Um, sure. Yeah. So, so you have, you unveiled trucker, which we will get to back to in a minute at an event called the lost horizon night market. It's most recent instantiation was in Oakland yeah. just this past weekend, Saturday night. Um, there have been others of these. They come around about how often? Once every six about, months or a year? About once a year. Yeah. Some, sometimes there's been twice a year. And d- tell me what it is. Uh, so the Lost Horizon Night Market actually started over in New York. And I don't know anything about the creators of it or what the experience was like there. Um, but basically, uh, some some people in um, in the Bay who are the sort of people who get shit done. Like, they just they do a ridiculous amount of awesome stuff. Uh, they, they had experienced this in New York and they said, we want to do this here. And the, the, the concept is, uh, at least how we do it. And this is probably straight up from New York. The concept is a bunch of artists get together and rent, um, box trucks. Each artist, uh, creates an experience of their own design in their box truck. They get a crew together. They do an installation. Um, obviously nothing permanent unless they own the truck. Uh, and, uh, they then go out into the city find a place and uh, without announcing ahead of time where they're going to be, they just kind of like set up and just like people start coming to it. And uh, the experiences uh, that you might expect, uh, well, the sort of things that I encountered in my very first box truck um, was as I was walking down, I saw a few people and I saw some trucks and it was out in the 
a dog patch where there was trucks everywhere. And as I was kind of walking by a semi-truck, I actually heard this weird like rolling thunder sound followed by like some, some braking. And I went back to this truck that I just passed. I didn't even notice it had its door open. There was a bowling lane inside. So when it set up, uh, they called it the Big Lebowski Movers. And it was a bowling lane, just single lane, uh, just a guy in the back resetting the pins and rolling the ball back down. And uh, that was their experience. Uh, further in, an experience was a truck with a, a vaginal opening on one side that you would crawl through. And once you were inside, you were in a shooting gallery, shooting sperm and an egg. Uh, and there was like a carnival barker uh, outside, like really bringing people in and kind of handling the line. So, so these have been going on for at least, I'd say, five or six years. And uh, So it's this ephemeral gathering of art installations and experiences built into trailers, box trucks that pops up about once a year. Nobody tells anybody where it's going to be in advance. You come there on the night of it. You have that experience. You go away. The art goes away. Most of the time. Uh, yeah, kind of kind of like we leave the place clean, sort of like we went camping or whatever. We don't want to like deface anything. So uh, there was one of these in Oakland this past weekend, and Trucker was a part of it. Yeah, it was our, it was our debut. It was my first time doing a truck rather than experiencing the uh-huh. truck. So you've been to, how many of those have you been to? I think I've been to five. Oh, yeah. I, I actually, maybe, maybe four. I actually kind of stopped going when they went to Oakland because like... I guess uh, who comes to Oakland? Well, I mean, first off, like they, they kind of go late, right? And yeah. like there's that, that, that Bart pumpkin. Uh, and then also, so they kept getting kind of like in trouble with the law because these are not exactly illegal, but like if the cops come and they see one to 2,000 people kind of like in some, some lane in, in the dog patch or whatever, they're obviously going to be like, what the hell, right? And more, more cops come and, and you know, they, they've shut us down very politely before. Uh, so um, the the night market, the Lost Horizon night market, are always trying to figure out how to stay one step ahead of the of the the, the cops, and uh, so they were doing them not just like more remote, like you know a little harder to get to from Bart, but also like way spread out, where there'd be like instead of like two blocks with like twenty trucks, there would be maybe. 10 blocks, uh, 10 square blocks, maybe let's say eight, eight square blocks with 20 trucks. No, so you so like, like see a, little, a truck. Like a walking tour almost. Yeah. And the, the thinking behind that was not just like, let's not, let's not make this a, a place where, you know, people just congregate, but let's also kind of make it more like something like you just kind of stumble upon it. Like that's kind of maybe how it started in New York was more about this idea of just like walking around and encountering an experiential uh, box truck. Uh, but this 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 particular time, it was actually, um, you know, I, I was going to do it no matter what. Like, I, I was really stoked about it, but it ended up being really cool. They actually did it in a really public space near Lake Merritt. Uh, and uh, oddly enough, like, uh, is the first first one I've been to in a long time that didn't ever see a cop. Uh, <laughs> it was like, All right. it, I think it just looked like, I mean, you know, nobody's selling anything, um, but we... Probably any cops going by probably just thought it was a bunch of food trucks. Yeah, it looked like an off. The, it probably looked like an off the yeah. grid kind of event, which the Oakland Museum of California, right there next to the lake, does like first Fridays every month. And I imagine, given where it was, I think it would have been visible from the lake. Yeah, like you sort of the high traffic zone. Right Super there, high right? traffic. Yeah. So, uh, so like, yeah, we were, we were already like, I don't, I don't know anything about the organizers. Everything's kept very discreet the way they communicate. Um, but they were saying, look, this is going to be our most high profile thing. It's probably going to get shut down before it even gets started. Uh, and if it does, um, 
you know, we might have a backup, but why don't you just make up your own backup? Like, so like our plan was to go on telegraph in front of some bars and just like, you know, cause we had the truck. So we were just going to bring it to someone and just have our own individual thing. But it ended up being like, you know, awesome. It was one of my favorite, favorite ones in a while. Although I, I didn't get a chance to, I was running trucker yeah. the whole you night. You couldn't experience the rest of it. Yeah. yeah. So you show up, you and your colleagues in this endeavor show up with your truck and, um, if I had been able to go, what would I have experienced at Trucker? So in Trucker, of at Trucker, at Trucker, yeah, it was our lunch party, lunch party, and um, basically we had our, our spring uh, class of startups that had been working on their on their startups for the last six months, uh, and were ready to debut. Um, they were kind of at the end of their 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 time in the the Trucker incubator, and so they were looking for investments, you know, early stage investments. So if you came to Night Market this time, uh, aside from birthday trucks and trucks where you can smash things, uh, there was a chance to come in, get in line, and be an investor. Uh, and as soon as you got into line, you know, it was a red carpet experience. We had uh, artisanal hand-cranked phone charges, uh, you know, complimentary thumb massages for people who text all day. Uh, we had, you know, we checked people in. We got some survey questions so that we can make a better experience for the for the next trucker. Uh, and it was just sort of a, a VIP, like, you know, like, uh, you know, make sure you buy your checkbook because you are going to make a fortune on these guys. Yeah, the, you know, sure. the next Instagram is probably inside that. Probably that just box waiting truck. on a personal check. Yeah. yeah. Had I been able to stand in line for this, it sounds like pretty posh VIP experience. As posh as we can make it. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. From, from doing this experience before as a, as, as a, uh, patron of of night market, um, the lines are a little weird because you can't always see what's inside a truck. You just see a line and you're like, looks like a fifteen or twenty minute line. I guess we'll do it, and then you get inside and and it was awesome, or or it was like that was neat, but I kind of wish we did another line or whatever. So uh, from from my early design, a goal was to keep the line moving as quickly as possible, uh, so people got in and out. And also to extend the experience outside of the truck, which has been done before. But like, yeah, for us, the the extent of the the thing was sort of setting that role playing right there. Uh, And then once you got inside the truck, uh, uh, usually you'd you'd get passed by the people leaving the truck and they'd be like, oh, my God, there's so much hot talent in there right now. Like you guys are you guys are in luck. So that that was kind of cool. That worked out that like the people leaving would psych up our crew. And then I'd ask everyone to organize themselves uh, in terms of order importance and wealth, uh, you know, press oh, in sure. the back uh, sure. and yeah, just come right in. And as soon as they came into the truck, uh, our, our uh, developers, um, our founders would, uh, would just grab, you know, three or four people and just start their pitch. And the pitches were WhatsApp app which is an app for basically you've been in a bar, you've seen a stranger using some weird app and you want to know what it is. Oh yes. Well, instead of asking them, um, what you get to do now is, uh, you know, open WhatsApp app, uh, take, uh, basically not a screenshot. It's sort of like a, a live recording of what they're doing. That'll go up to our database and we sort of match it like sort of like Shazam, the app, uh, which will generate a QR code on your phone. Uh, and then you take out your second phone and just scan the QR code and it takes you to simple the app. Store. Yeah. It's as simple as one, two, three, the stranger's phone, your phone and your second phone. So that's three, three phones. phones. Uh, you know, and that solves a problem that, I didn't even know it existed, but now that I do know it exists, I'm so glad that solution is there. Yeah. So that sounds like a really great one. What, what were some other 
some other apps you were you were launching there, Trucker? Coat, Coat Check uh, made their debut. Uh, basically, Coat Check is um, uh, it's for folks like uh, E-Boy, uh, the Artist Collective. They just came and visited me uh, in the Secret Alley last week, and they had to leave early because they didn't bring their coats with them from the hotel. Like they left in the afternoon, came out, and then it's cold San Francisco weather. San Francisco, yes. Um, and Coat Check would have been perfect for them. Coat Check is a way to be able to order coats on demand. Uh, you know, your mom told you don't leave home without your coat. Well, now you can just forget that advice because you can, wherever you are, you can just order, you know, a mink or a down coat or whatever you want. What about like a, like a denim jacket? Yeah, okay. whatever you want. And um, it'll get delivered to you uh, via Uber's API. They have a, a new sharing API, which is actually pretty convenient because most of our coats are coats that were accidentally left in Uber to start with. So it's a partnership that we're doing uh, with them. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, if it's extra cold, uh, we're going to have some, some sliding fees, uh, you know, sure. based on demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if price is a concern when you're renting your, your rental code, oh, no, wait, uh, this is a rental thing. It was a sharing, you know, sharing code. Oh, okay. you're, you don't, you're not buying a coat. No one wants to buy another coat. No. This is just for you're out and you just want to have a coat for the night. And you know, it's sort of like, uh, you're sharing cars with the Uber and the, the Certainly. Yeah. It's so much, it's so nice to, to, that how much sharing we do yeah. these days. It's really a lovely world that we live in. And for those of us, I was an only child, and so I didn't learn to share very well. Mm-hmm. So this has been a useful sort of adult re-education about what sharing is and how to do it. And it sounds like Coat Check. Now, Coat Check, how did, how did the founders settle on that name? Did they try try out some other names first? Like I actually kept trying to get the founder to change their, their name. I'm glad they didn't, because like most of our, most of our uh, companies were sort of like uh, you know, the, a word without the vowels or something, uh, which was pretty obvious, like Toastio uh, was pretty obvious. So, so much so that I actually had to get Toastio.biz because Toast.io was gone. <laughs> so people show up at, at Trucker at the incubator. They are given the opportunity to invest in these exciting new, new apps, mm-hmm. new services. How were they allowed to invest? I mean, personal checks, perhaps, but what, how were they allowed to invest? We just sort of assumed that they would uh, uh, be so inspired by our presentations that they would just tweet us their uh, PayPal login information uh, and just let us take care of that because they're, they're busy, important people. Yeah, that hasn't happened yet. We're still, we're still waiting um, for, for the first of those tweets to come through. I, I, I actually have a, a little ticket filed with Twitter, just making sure app replies are still working right it's, now. It's not, it hasn't been in 48 hours, so, I mean... Yeah, a little patience. Uh, so, so, so the experiences of getting pitched, where there was three people pitching, um, you know, three different apps, uh, and there'd be uh, twelve total people inside the back of a sixteen-foot rental truck, uh, and uh, the the pitches were two minutes, uh, and then we'd pivot, and um, you'd get you'd get a whole other presentation just for two minutes, real short, leave them leave them hungry, uh, and then uh, I would interrupt. Um, that and introduced the keynote speaker who was some random person, like one of the investors would be the keynote speaker. And uh, we were really encouraging improvisation on their end. Like from the very beginning, we were trying to prep them to get you know into this character and ask us questions about return on investments, about scalability and stuff like that. And we just try to riff on them. So by the end of the night, all our pitches were rock solid. Uh, the investors were still working on their, their questions. But uh, yeah, and then they would do their keynote and then I would uh, introduce them to their exit strategy which was the back door. The exit. Were people given any sort of parting gifts uh, just for you know, being there and being interested in, and, and for being investors, being of the investor class? Did they come away with anything tangible from the experience? Yes, we gave them a lot of inspiration. Uh, tangible, they got a lanyard. <laughs> they got a lanyard. 
so is trucker it was it was part of this ephemeral experience the lost horizon night market might we see trucker again i would love to do trucker again i don't i don't think i'd want to do trucker at the night market again um not because it didn't work there but just like i've done that um uh I have this box now uh, filled with like trucker hats. Uh, we got trucker swag, of course, uh, lanyard signs, magnets, throwy LEDs, and stuff like that. So I have this truck ready, and on a moment's notice, we could just rent a truck and go throw a party somewhere. Um, th- that would be really fun to me. It's like uh, it's like I-, I did this project called God Hates Dinosaurs, where I. I uh, uh, pretend to be like a, a religious uh, uh, zealot with like pamphlets and I give out these pamphlets that are really silly and I've been doing that on Market Street for uh, months now and the response is very genuine, very shocked very, you know, what the hell's going on and then people get it and then they start kind of getting into it and then I went to Hunky Jesus uh, last week and just people loved it and it was too easy, like, you know like being being the weird eccentric at Hunky Jesus is like you know, whatever. So like, I really, I really want to just pull up trucker, you know, in North beach, uh, pull it up just like somewhere unexpected. And, um, we're not trying to actually, we're not trying to be mean spirited or anything. We're not trying to like preach or make fun of people. We're just trying to take this, uh, this experience of like, you know, it seems like the, the craziest things are happening in the city right now. And people have like crazy ideas and we just kind of want to take that and just, just take it to some sort of like funny extreme. Would you consider maybe going to downtown Palo Alto? seems like sort of a natural home for a trucker. Yeah. I mean, that, that wouldn't make sense. I, I, uh, I kind of wonder how their, their response would be. Like we would definitely want people who would come into the truck, uh, which doesn't look as scary. Uh, you know, it does not like, it's not like, Hey, we got candy. Although actually, maybe my next track will be like just trying to get people to come into the truck. Just like the scariest, least approachable. There's no lines or anything, and I just got like a lollipop. <laughs> and you're wearing a hoodie and what a, that's very long, but not appearing to wear any pants under it. Yeah. Yeah, hey kids and adults. I'm not picky. Uh, that'd be funny. Then you come inside and it's just all candy. Yeah. <laughs> There's like so much candy, <laughs> just swimming candy. Yeah. You mentioned God hates dinosaurs just now, so uh, you. You created this this uh, sort of comic tract based on like Jack Chick tracts, basically about uh, well about how God hates dinosaurs. I won't spoil it for anyone. And you you go and you stand in places and you you hold a sign. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the sign says. The sign says uh, very clearly, "God hates dinosaurs." It's a uh, white Helvetica on a black background. And I actually printed the sign because uh, uh, I got Frank Chu to to offer to hold my sign on the back of his sign. Uh, and when I was ordering a sign for him, it was so expensive. I, I found out it, if I got two more made, uh, it would cut my price significantly. So like I first thought like as a, as a cartoonist, not, not really a performance artist, but as a cartoonist, I kind of thought like I would be leaving these around kind of walking away or whatever. Um, and getting the sign changed the entire project from being uh, a shy cartoonist handing out comics to m- me having a sign that says, come talk to me about religion. <laughs> That's like, please, please argue with me about religion. Like uh, one way or another, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, God doesn't hate dinosaurs. God loves everyone or, or like, yeah, just, just the, well, you put, you, yeah. I mean, you put the word God on a sign and, and, or on the yeah. thing you're handing out, right. It's going to invite a certain kind of response. Um, you, you describe yourself as a shy cartoonist. I mean, but you, you, and not a performance artist, but you do some performative things and have, for a while, uh, especially on the music side of things, right? Yeah, more, more so the music thing than, than anything else. I mean, I've, I've been a professional yo-yoer for, for a long time. Uh, that's actually how I ended up moving to the city, was doing a yo-yo gig. Uh, but when now, hold on. Yeah. 
No, we can we can just say a professional yo-yoer, and we don't have to. No, right. but we do have to explain <laughs> how that how that gets you to move to San Francisco. Uh, the Odeon, the Odeon uh, was Chicken John's old bar. It's now the Knockout, uh, and they used to have uh, amazing things here. And I'm not going on one of those. The city used the to city be used awesome, to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But they used to have <laughs> they used to have like um, Burning Man meetups there, but like more for like burners who were already disenfranchised with Burning Man. So that kind of gave birth to a lot of the the night market kind of thing, like. Like, uh, this is too elitist. This is, you know, too big. It's grown out of our control. Let's do other stuff. So a lot of that stuff came out of the Odeon. And um, in the Odeon, there was things like uh, Monsters of Accordion. And um, one year they decided to do Monsters of Yo-Yo. And uh, I was in Minneapolis, and I, I flew out here to do the Monsters of Yo-Yo show. And uh, fell in love with the Odeon, fell in love with uh, the, the, the weird food um, stuff that was happening here. There was some, like, pop-up food like restaurants back then and uh just never caught my flight home uh i'm doing this kind of backwards from from how i normally would do this kind of interview but you grew up in tennessee Mm -hmm. uh where did you land first after moving away from the childhood hometown so i was there until i was 21 and i thought i'd live there for all my life not necessarily lewisburg it's an hour south of nashville okay so i pretty much thought i'd move to to nashville yeah and um after this trip to Seattle uh, and to Olympia, where I suddenly realized that I didn't have the drive it took to be homeless to make music or whatever. I mean, as a risk. Like, I saw these people. They weren't unhappy. They were really happy. But I was like, I don't think that's for me. I think I just want to make things. Um, so I came back to uh, to Tennessee. on my That was on my 21st birthday. Came back, and I... I bought a yo-yo when I was in Seattle, just my first yo-yo. I wasn't yo-yoing then, but I bought one as a souvenir from the, the Space Needle. And this guy was opening a, a, a kiosk just selling yo-yos in the mall. It was like right on the verge of this big yo-yo boom that was about to happen that, that I didn't know, but he, he totally saw it coming. So he put his life savings into buying some yo-yos, uh, moved out to Franklin, Tennessee, opened a spot in the mall, and uh, he uh, saw me with the yo-yo, and he was just opening his cart for the first day and asked if I could uh, like help run the cart with him, like be an employee of his. Uh, and it's so weird how my life just changed. Like every city I've lived in since then, which has been you know, Ch- Chattanooga, St. Louis, uh, Richmond, Charlottesville, Minneapolis, which is amazing, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then San Diego for a little while. So, I mean, I, I've, lived, I've lived around, and it's all been because of like opening yo-yo stuff or... Like, I had my own yo-yo store for a while, toy store for a while, and eventually moved out here just because of some one random yo-yo gig in a bar. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy to think how that yeah. all just happened from, like, buying a yo-yo as a, as a novelty the day this guy opens a cart. But, yeah, I mean, uh, up, in, up until then, um, you know, if we're talking about, like, making stuff, uh, in a small town in Tennessee, all you hear from my friends... Uh, you, you either would have heard people say like uh, big city folk are crazy um, I'm going to stay here or you hear people say small towns suck I'm going to go to Los Angeles as soon as I can I'm going to move to New York that's where everything is and um, I, I don't know how but I was just super 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 lucky to have realized that nobody was happier because they moved and the only thing you could do if you were unhappy was to do something so, like, from an early age, I was, like, putting on shows and making zines. I mean, the whole zine culture shared the ethics of, um, or the ethos of, like, uh, you know, punk and DIY, 
you know, like just, just do it. Don't like try to wait for someone else to, to do something. And I, so I was doing that. I, I could still be in a small town of Tennessee and I'd probably still be doing something like trucker and I'd still be doing yeah. weird stuff, but I'm, I'm super glad I got out. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's not, you know, moving, moving to San Francisco isn't what, you know, changed my life. It was just an early realization that wherever you are, if something's not happening, it's your fault. Not. Yeah. It's like wherever you go, there you are kind of that cliche. Um, you do game design. What does that look like for you? Uh, so I, I managed to trick myself into my first game design gig uh, about five years ago. You tricked um, yourself into it. I uh, tricked, tricked, uh, tricked my way into yeah. or whatever, like kind of cheated my way in. Like I uh, love playing games, especially mobile games. I just love the the... There was like this kind of new type of rock star that seemed to be coming around five years ago. Um, folks who knew how to code, knew how to make some art and how to make some sounds and could make like a really touching experience or just a really fun experience. It was sort of like they were like musicians, but like they were, they were making games and they were making art. And, um, and I really wanted to be something like that, but I just, I, I suck at learning languages of any sort and learning to code is something that I've just never been able to, I'm dyslexic and, uh, I just, I just never could get into it. Um, so, uh, I was hanging out, like I, I started this, this, this club in San Francisco when I first moved here called the Cartoonist Conspiracy. And, um, once a month we'd get together and we'd jam with other cartoonists and we'd make this like comic in a night. And one of my artists that was coming pretty regularly, um, came out of, uh, game art. He was a game artist. And his brother was a classic game designer from back from Atari. He, he invented the first um, helicopter thrust game. It was called Fort Apocalypse. So like a new genre of game for Atari. And he invented it for arcade. Uh, but uh, he, he, the cartoonist was telling me that like he and his brother were going to get together and try to make a, uh, an iPhone game. You know, iPhone had just come out. And I said, oh, I've got a, a great game. I have a really good game. Are you guys interested? And he's like, yeah. Uh, and so we made um, a date two days later to meet and talk about the game. So I went home that night and uh, picked up some index cards from Walgreens, and I just drew <laughs> drew a game. I like just created a game from scratch. <laughs> uh, the game is called The Fly, and you were the the uh, you were the character of a fly that flew around. And actually, it was kind of ironic that it happened to be a thrust mechanic game. Like I wanted it to be a single button t- uh, touch the screen and he kind of thrust a little bit and then you tilt the screen to get him to move mm-hmm. and that was weird because because I didn't know anything about the guy I was going to be working with yeah. and his history with that, that exact genre and the character was the whole purpose of the game was to make the everybody's least favorite character which would be like a fly you know gross but make that the, the main charming thing and to make humans kind of the gross things they just leave food everywhere and they're disgusting and the fly is like the cute guy and uh, so we started working on the game, and um, we got acquired by another company midway through and um, made a game for the Mighty Boosh in the process called the, the Mighty Decider. And that was like kind of my career uh, as a game designer. And so uh, I hate saying idea guy because that sounds really flaky. Mm-hmm. Um, but like what I like to do when I work on a game is start with a really fun game mechanic, uh, try to come up with some sort of experience like a character that makes it really relatable and then I'll do whatever tasks are open so for right now we're working on this game called Sweet Ride it's a skateboard game and I'm doing trixel art which is like pixel art with triangles and I'm doing the music Um, the game mechanics are all kind of documented by me here's what happens when you do this or that and I try to make it really easy for everyone else I'm working on to to stay on the same page so we're not like building a different game Um, and yeah we're just it's three of us working on this game kind of one day a week in the secret alley 
and hopefully, I mean, it's really hard to get a, a game done one day a week, yeah, yeah. but hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have it done in like six months and something really simple, you know, not a crazy game. Because you wanted to design a game, you sort of found yourself engaged in the the tech economy of San Francisco yeah. and, and elsewhere. Do you feel like you are a part of tech? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely tech adjacent, um, mm-hmm. as, as many of us are. Uh, even though I, I've, despite many attempts, never been able to code anything, I keep coming around it. And I don't know if that's because that's where someone like myself can, can make enough money to like pay to do the other things in the yeah, city. Yeah. I, I was, when I first moved here, I was a part-time tailor and I was selling wallets on Etsy and I was selling music and occasionally yo-yoing and that paid my rent. Like that was, that felt pretty cool to like manage to make rent every month. Um, but you know, now I just couldn't, I couldn't do that. Uh, but uh, I do a lot of consulting for companies. Um, it started because I got really into iPhone photography and I started doing the first like, um, mobile meetups for photographers. They were called uh, InstaWalks. Um, like right after Instagram started, I was doing these like things and the founders of Instagram came to our first two meetups. And that was how I first kind of got into tech. Uh, I got hired as a community manager for, for Postagram and worked for them for a couple of years and um, did games, which is also kind of tech, but not quite the same. I mean, you know, it's, it's in the app stores or whatever. And now I'm doing consulting for a, a WordPress engine or for WP Engine. Um, and working with other clients as well. Uh, it's actually really super fun as a, again, I, I hate this, I, I feel weird saying idea guy because it sounds terrible. Um, idea guys are the folks who just pitch things and don't know how to make them. Um, but like I do a lot of consulting for companies who all I have to do is meet with them once or twice before they launch and just give them my honest feedback. And I don't have to, I don't have to do a lick of the work that they have to do. Um, you know, it's not like I'm telling them like your whole idea is shit, but just like uh, really simple tweaks based on my experiences um, and suggestions for, you know, maybe how they reach their audiences they want. And it's super fun. It's not fun to do uh, on a day to day basis, but like just to, when, when people pitch stuff to you and well, not pitch, when people show you their projects, um, I've never really thought disrespectful for like the tech folks around here because they're just makers like anyone else. And I remember really hearing them get excited about something that they wanted to make and I could tell them about something I wanted to make and just because it was comics and theirs was tech it was not like it's not like we couldn't respect each other um, and so I really like meeting with people and talking about their ideas and just giving them my suggestions on how they you know little tweaks they can do um, anything from UX to um, uh, to you know community outreach or whatever so you uh, you are kind of continuing a series of conversations I've had on this show with people who are working artists of various kinds. Mm-hmm. And, and the conversation typically, because I'm curious about it, comes around to this question of kind of how do you make a life, how do you build a life as a working artist and pay the bills and still have time to do the creative stuff you want to do on the side. And you, how long have you been in San Francisco? Uh, Ten years. Ten years. So in ten, that's about as long as I've been out here. Is it getting harder to, to kind of live that way out here? Uh, it, it's there's a couple things getting harder. There's uh, you know, our rent hasn't gone up or rent controlled. We're terrified as anyone else in our situation is of losing our spot, and that's not really a rational fear. It's there's a lot of tenants. It's a big building. I don't think they're going to kick out the entire building. But it's gotten to the point now where 
Um, we are really wanting to find a way to buy a house, and we've been looking for you know two two years, and we want to buy it in San Francisco, um, which just sounds like an outlandish thing, but like. Uh, it, <laughs> it sounds like you're doing a performance art setup. Yeah, right. right? No, I mean it's a real genuine thing. We don't want to. Um, I really love the city. I really love, in particular, the mission. Um, if I if I came out and did a show in North Beach, I would have been like, "What a cool town!" And I would have gone back to Minneapolis. But it was very specifically like just a, a neighborhood that I I just really felt a part of, and I don't I don't want to leave. Um, the things that make it hard as an artist right now, in my opinion, aren't just paying the rent. Because I think um, anybody who wants to make something can do a day job. There's so many, there's so many day jobs around here right now. Like so many folks I know are like community managers or something, and then just make your art, you know, at home. And uh, I, I know this that doesn't sound appealing to everyone, but like I think that's just the the most stress-free way to know that you can make your art. And the thing that really is really stressing me out is just this this sentiment that right now that like. Um, art is dead. Every time you read that, like uh, that, like um, there are no artists in San Francisco or whatever, or the music scene's dead. It's really insulting because, like, me and a lot of my friends are musicians and artists, and we're doing stuff. Like, we're trying really hard. My friend Morgan does this um, chip tune uh, showcase once a month at DNA Lounge, and, and it's just like really amazing, talented folks doing stuff with like handheld gaming systems and like not super high end stuff. And you know, we're trying really hard and. I don't know. To me, it feels every time I hear someone say uh, the scene is dead, I just feel like they're having a hard time acknowledging that we all kind of grow up and we don't like going out as much as we used to. And it's so much easier to just blame X, you know, like since the techies move here, the city's gone to hell. And I don't know, like there's so many artists in that group of people that have moved in in the last 10 years. Um, yeah, I, I can't I can't hate them, but it, I just feel like there's a sentiment. So like when I do something now and I know I should never read the comments, but every time I, every time I, I, you know, happen to make it on SFist, there's someone, you know, I wore a fedora in my Kickstarter video, and that's like a point of judgment. Like, oh, here's another techie in a fedora ruining our city. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> like this, yeah. I'm doing free art and I'm giving out comics downtown yeah. and yeah. hanging out with Frank Chu and and I mean, you just but, can't but make your choice happy. of haberdashery was was, yeah. was poor apparently. Uh, it has it's, marked you. It just seems it's, it's so. I guess to get to the point, it just seems like right now it's a very uh, um, our first reaction is very knee jerk to things. Mm. Do, you, do you remember that sign? Um, the uh, mission casting call for nine four one one zero. Like I don't know. Like I I looked at him like oh cool. Like this is someone who's working on a thing or whatever. And I shared that, and I was really surprised that the first response was everyone thought it was a prank of mine. Like, oh, that's some evil satirical thing. And then when I was like, no, it's not mine, then they were like, like, just, it was knee-jerk. Like, it, it was just like a lot of hate to a thing that none of us had seen mm. anything about. The scene is not dead. Mm. <laughs> and there, there's still a whole lot happening creatively in the city. Now, m my show typically focuses on Oakland and the East Bay, and I talk to you know, Oakland and East Bay people, usually. Uh, they may be working all over the place or here in San Francisco, but you know, my kind of excuse for coming to you was that the Lost Horizon Night Market was in Oakland and you launched Trucker in Oakland. So I am going to take that as a sign that, uh, that the tech economy really is looking at Oakland now as, as a place to, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to launch on, new things. That's why, we're on, uh, that's why Trucker is on wheels, so we can just go to wherever the next hotspot is and, and just take advantage of it. Right. So at this point, um, no concrete plans to 
uh, hold another trucker salon anytime soon, but you'd like to revive the concept? Yeah, I, I certainly would. Uh, it's, it's a little weird right now. I've kind of realized that a lot of my recent projects have been perceived as satirical, like I'm a satirical artist, and that's just like some things that I've liked doing. So uh, after Trucker, I think I want to finish this comic book I'm working on, which is a little more sincere, and you know, an album and stuff like that. But like uh, Trucker is absolutely designed so that uh, all that work, setting it up, now we just like pull out the pull out the box, put on our hats and our costumes, and we could just pull up. You know, it's like I think it was eighty bucks to rent the truck. So I don't know. I hate to make a promise, but let's say uh, by June or in June, a uh, trucker will happen again somewhere, probably in SF. All right. Well, I will look forward to it then, and hopefully, I get a chance to see it in person this time around. Um, I have taken a bunch of your time here, and I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for your time, man. It was good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks so much, dude. That was Dr. Popular. He lives and works mostly in San Francisco, but as you heard, recently put together a truck-based installation, or maybe experience is the right word, for a Lost Horizon night market in Oakland. You can find out more about what Doc's up to on his website, docpop.org. That's D-O-C-P-O-P dot org. One of the things you might see there is a video of him doing yo-yo tricks, which is just nuts. I am going to put a link to that on the page for this show. That show page you can find at tespodcast.com. That's also where you'll find the other interviews I've done over the past year or so and more information about the people I've talked to. You can subscribe to the podcast there or find it on iTunes or Stitcher. But as always, the true home of the show remains tespodcast.com. Listener shout out this week to Stacy Farr. Stacy lives in Oakland. She and I do similar work, have some professional connections, and uh, we met up this past week to talk about that work. One of the first things she said to me was that it was weird to meet me in person because, turns out, she listens to this show and is used to me just being a voice. She's the first person who's ever said that to me. Stacy, thank you for listening and, as you put it, for pushing this show on other people. Much appreciated. All right, this has been The Eastern Shore. I have been and continue to be Brock Winstead. Thank you for listening. We'll do it again next week. Ish. You are listening to the Eastern Shore on BFF.FM. I'm Brock Winstead. That was a pre-recorded interview from... Um, I previously broadcast as well from last April, I think it was, I talked to Doc. Uh, so those times in the interview when I said things like recently, uh, adjust accordingly. Depends on our definition of recently, I guess. I have broken in here, come back to you live on the microphone because I wanted to play some music. I've still got about uh, 13 minutes here. And uh, I put together a little mini-set today in memory of Alan Toussaint. He, um, he died overnight. He was on tour in, in Spain. Uh, died sometime early morning, I guess, uh, in Madrid. Um, if you know who Alan Toussaint is, you don't need me to explain this. But if you don't, if you don't know his name, there's a good chance you've heard music that he wrote or produced or influenced in some way. He, starting in the 19, mid-1960s, really... Uh, started writing and producing, making music with other people uh, that took elements of 
what was happening in New Orleans, kind of New Orleans R&B, um, and put elements of that out into other kinds of music that really moved that style out in the world, um, made a lot of stuff that you've heard even if you didn't know it was him. Um, he wrote and produced the song Working in a Coal Mine that Lee Dorsey did. He produced or co-produced, I guess, the first recorded version of Lady Marmalade, yes, that song in the 1970s. Uh, more recently, he's worked with people like Elvis Costello, worked with a lot of different people over the years, again, bringing that um, kind of New Orleans sound into other kinds of music. And I wanted to play some of that, some of his own music, his solo stuff, and, and uh, one song that he uh, wrote. Uh, it's a cover of that song uh, by someone who essentially just took Alan Toussaint's backing band. Uh, that'll become clear who that is in a minute. Um, so what you're hearing now behind me is Les Paul, by the way. Nothing to do with Alan Toussaint. Just good to talk over. So here comes a short set of Alan Toussaint music, starting with It's a New Orleans Thing. This is BFF.FM. Thanks for listening.
I can't, can't talk too good on mics and all that. Uh, I'm Alan Tucson. Uh, this is mighty late to say it. And this is the last night of a tour, a Warner Brothers tour for the album Southern Nights that we have. And it was really a gas to close out here. This is really fine. And this is That was Alan Toussaint. That was him speaking there 40 years ago on a tour in support of his album Southern Nights. Before that was the song going down from his 1972 album Life, Love, and Faith. Before that was Robert Palmer doing Sneakin' Sally Through the Alley, which Alan Toussaint wrote, and Robert Palmer's backing band on that song was essentially Alan Toussaint's backing band. And at the top of that little mini set, was It's a New Orleans, th- New Orleans Thing, a more recent song by Alan Toussaint. Uh, to him I say thanks for the music, and to you I say thank you for listening. This is Best Frequencies Forever, BFF.FM, coming up right now at 3 o'clock is San Francisco People with Frank Garza. You'll hear him in just a bit. I've been Brock Winstead. Here's Frank. She'd be a guest on the show. And now Sarah's a tech reporter.